Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The Bears, they just don't get it. They see the world as it is and are realistically upset because there is so much going wrong every day. They see the Fed not letting up in its fight against inflation. They see the earnings disappointing. They marvel at how weak things really are and how a recession is just a hair's breadth away. And then we get an arm holdings, today's huge and highly successful IPO. This was a deal that worked well for both sellers and buyers. One that's right smack in the middle of the tech world, including AI, because they're working with market darling NVIDIA, and suddenly all is right with the world. So after an uninspiring opening, the average is sore, with the Dow finishing up 331 points, S&P rising 0.84%, NASDAQ gaining 0.81%. Is it really that simple? Yes. Yes, for one reason. See, there's always so much sideline money at all times, waiting to get in, waiting for a signal that things might be better. And after 18 months of no IPOs to speak of, the multi-billion dollar arm deal was exactly what they needed. Suddenly, all the sideline money comes pouring back in because the IPO market is a terrific barometer of market health. That wave of new money wasn't something the bears saw coming, and it makes it impossible for them to control the narrative. In short, a fabulous IPO like Arm Holdings blots out the negatives and accentuates the positive. Next thing you know, the whole market has a change of heart, despite the incredibly smart, rational protestations of the myriad bears. Now, does it make sense for the market to work like this? <laughs> of course not. It's absurd. Arm by itself doesn't change anything. You and I know that. In terms of facts and figures, it should be meaningless. But psychologically, it damages the bear case in several important ways. And the market runs on psychology, not hardcore, steel-eyed analysis. Let me take you through the bullish green shoots one by one. First, Wall Street doesn't make much news these days. But the arm deal is big. It's news. And because it was priced definitely with real thought, it didn't pop up huge and then go down. That would have been terrible. Instead, it popped a moderate amount good, and then continued to rally. 
also good. Closing up nearly 25%, a little too high, but I get it. Meaning even if you bought it at the opening, though, you still made money, a lot of money. That's very important because it reminds people that there are more ways to make money in this market than just riding a in seven and selling everything else or getting in on the deal itself. You made money if you bought it after it opened. We'll evaluate the arm deal later in the show, including talking about how much it's worth. But right now, I want to talk about the mistake the Bears made today. It's a mistake I made many times when I was younger. They never imagined an event, seemingly meaningless event, could change things, at least for now, beyond all reason. And that brings me to the second one. During these last 18 months, there have been no, really almost no IPOs of any significance. Without IPOs, everybody in the investment banking industry, including two Dow components, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs, was missing out on a major line of business, underwriting. And there was no point in calling up executives of privately held companies and suggesting that they IPO because nobody wants to try to come public in a frozen IPO market like we had. Today, though, the bankers suddenly have a reason to call companies, and you better believe they're calling. They're saying, look at me and look at Arm. The market's back. That's a powerful, positive phone call to make, an amazing catalyst for the whole industry. I expect to see J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley stock marching higher from here. The Bears didn't have that on their bingo card, and it's going to happen just like that. How do I know this? Well, first of all, I worked at Goldman and did these things. And second, I tapped Goldman to bring a company public during a period when it was bad and then it was good. I know how this game works. Now, lately, we've had horrendous performances from anything in the cell phone or personal computer business, and I don't see that changing. Arm certainly didn't tell us that things are getting better in those key markets, although we always hear hints that the PC's coming back. Hint, hint, hint. But we know that the artificial intelligence thesis, the third positive, is alive and well, which means it's not worth selling anything right now in that industry. In fact, the way I see it, Arm could rally almost 25% today because its partners with NVIDIA on their latest and greatest chips, they designed the architecture for NVIDIA's new CPU that goes with their graphics cards as part of the super chip platform that NVIDIA's put together. That's why NVIDIA wanted to buy Arm a few years ago. There was no real overlap, but the regulators, they blocked it anyway. Hey, speaking of AR, one of the most horrible parts of being a bear right now is that you've got a major investment thesis that's become very, well, let's just say it's hard to shoot down. People thought that the AI boom peaked when NVIDIA's stock, though, went down after an amazing quarter. And that made them think maybe it's peaking. Well, um, no. The unwinding of the AI bull market would have been a great story for them. But after today, I don't think so. Yeah, the bulls can say that as good as ARM is, the CPU, which is what they make, is much smaller part of the super chips than the graphics processor, which is NVIDIA. I think if you're a semiconductor analyst, it's an easy call tomorrow to come out and say, do you see how ARM ran? It's time to get back into NVIDIA. It's still way down. And there are plenty of other AI plays well off their highs, including some of NVIDIA's key partners, that are going to be called on tomorrow to move higher by analysts. Hey, I, let me give you one. How about Oracle? It's on the eve of, of Oracle Cloud World next week with a stock that's well off its high. How about the biggest gaping hole in Broadcom? Symbol ABGO. Down 50 points from its highs. Those are both inexpensive stocks. And they're intertwined. Hey, how about Adobe, which just reported a solid top and bottom line beat, uh, although the stock didn't get much traction after hours trading because they only got it for inline sales in the current quarter. Iron Man a believer in this one, though, but it did run up 50 points into this quarter. 
Boy, Oracle ran up and so did Broadcom. It's kind of like that. Of course, the positive power of an IPO can't wipe out the risk from an auto strike. We can't tell the outcome yet, but it's, it's just let's just say it's not going to be positive for the stocks either way. A strike or a big payday. United Parcel, for instance, gave a big payday to its workers, the Teamster Union, and that crushed their stock. Now, a strike will also crush the earnings of the car companies if it's long. The positive power of ARM can't hide a producer price index number uh, that, like yesterday's CPI number, played right into the hands of the bears. These inflation numbers are just too high. They suggest the Fed has more work to do. There's no denying that, the, that oil's a problem, right? It seems to have no cap. Unless Russia, the Saudis, or even our own domestic producers start pumping more again, then crude could be headed to $100 a barrel. Slice them right through 90 Sure, we can ask for fuel costs, but once it gets embedded into the price of everything, then inflation will become more visible and less tolerated by the Fed and by you and by me. Interest rates will stay higher for longer than we expected then. And rates have controlled the story of this market ever since the Fed started tightening anyway. It's why the bears have always seemed to have the upper hand intellectually, from the underinvested hedge funds to the chief strategists who spend all day wringing their hands about a recession, to the billionaires who never, never happy, never happy with stocks, because you only need to get rich once. Bottom line, the bears don't have the upper hand emotionally, at least not today. That belongs to ARM and its tech and financial accolades. Every now and then, the emotional hand can be as powerful as the intellectual hand. This is one of those times. Let's go to Don in Florida. Don. Hey, Jim. This is Don, St. Augustine. Excellent. Um, What's up? up, uh, Well, a few months ago, my wife was telling me that she was using a new product uh, with some nice quality and price, which was health beauty products. And um, she said to look in it. So I did, bought some, and the stock has done very well. And uh, it started to waver a little bit in the last couple of weeks, and I wound up selling half my uh, holdings. And uh, since then, it's come down a bit. But uh, inside of selling and so forth, I was getting a little nervous with the consumer outlook. Right, but, but remember, they also made an acquisition, and uh, I thought the acquisition was a good one, but people get nervous when companies make big acquisitions. I think that's a mistake. I think Elf is good. I think that the company has done incredibly well, but it is up a great deal. So I don't think you were wrong in taking some profits, but let the rest run, please. Paul in South Carolina. Paul. Booyah, Jim. This is Booyah, Paul, Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm glad you called in, Paul. What's happening? I'm a longtime follower since about 2010. Read all your books. Club member. Thank you. uh, I bought some uh, Pioneer Natural Resources in Devon for the dividend. Right. And the price of oil has been going up. Pioneer seems to be responding, but Devon is not. Do you have any insight on that? Yeah. Devon did not deliver a good quarter. Uh, and frankly, that does matter, even if it's an oil company. But by the way, Pioneer delivered an amazing quarter, and I think it's still very undervalued. You remember the club? You know that PXD is the best in show. Right? The bears have plenty of reason to be negative about the actual economy right now, but that's not the stock market. We get an IPO like the one we got today from Arm Holdings. It can go a long way in changing the bears' thinking. It's out there. Oh, man, money tonight. Arm, the most highly anticipated deal of the year, hit the public market today. I'm going to break it down, give you all you need to know about the company and how it fits in the technology ecosystem. And not only was I excited about the Arm deal, but so was Wall Street. The stock finishing the day higher. So is the price right to get in the new name? Or is it too late? I'm going to share where I come down. And yesterday, I had the opportunity to cruise around San Francisco in a driverless vehicle with the CEO of GM subsidiary Cruise. And I'm sharing part of one of my interviews with the backseat of an autonomous vehicle 
in a television first for the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Today we witnessed the largest IPO in nearly two years as Arm Holdings, the huge semiconductor design firm, returned to the public markets in a $4.87 billion deal. This company is a key cog in the semiconductor ecosystem with a storied history, and we can learn a great deal from Wall Street's voracious demand for its stock. Darn thing priced at $51, opened around $56, then jumped to nearly $63 and change at the close, although I thought a disproportionate portion of that increase happened, oddly, right before the close of trading. Now, even after this move right out of the gate, I think Arm Holdings is still pretty enticing, although I was hoping for a lower price before I came out here tonight because now it becomes a more high-risk story. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of what you should pay for it, you need to know what you're dealing with here. That's why tonight we're running a two-parter, Know Your IPO, on this one, because it's really that significant to the rest of the stock market. First, let's talk about Arm. This company was initially founded in 1990 as a joint venture among Apple and a couple of now-defunct tech outfits. It came public in 1998 and stayed public until 2016, when the whole enterprise was taken over by SoftBank, the big Japanese investment firm, and it was then made into a private company. So what does Arm do? This company is an integral part of the semiconductor food chain. It designs high-performance, low-cost, and energy-efficient, keeping up. Keep that thought in your head. Energy-efficient CPU products and related technology. Crucially, Arm doesn't manufacture any semiconductors. They merely design them and then license those designs to customers, which includes everybody from NVIDIA, AMD, and Intel to Qualcomm and Samsung, not to mention mega-cap techs like Alphabet, Apple, the Amazons. They sell their designs to automakers, to 
auto suppliers, all sorts of companies operating in the Internet of Things space, tons and tons of chips run on ARM's architecture. Typically, these guys make their money in two ways. First, customers pay ARM a licensing fee for the right to use its intellectual property and designs. Then, once these customers actually produce chips of their own, ARM collects a royalty fee on every semiconductor that gets made using their technology, usually a fixed price of the chip selling price, a fixed percentage of the chip selling price, although they offer discounts at higher volumes. And they keep getting those royalties forever. Last year, 46% of their revenue came from technology design more than a decade ago because customers keep using this as the basis for new chips. I gotta tell you, I have always loved this kind of business model, which is why I often recommended the old arm back before it was taken private by SoftBank. But it only works because this company has incredible technology, great engineering. Why does almost every major semiconductor outfit seem to be licensing arms chip architecture? These things are literally everywhere, especially in the world of smartphones. It's for one simple reason. Ever since its inception, Arm Holdings has always been focused on energy efficiency, which is essential when you're making components for battery-powered devices like smartphones. Over time, phones get more advanced, more complicated. So Arm's energy efficient CPU designs became increasingly crucial. It's gotten to the point where other chipmakers don't even bother to try to compete. That's right, they don't compete designing CPUs for mobile devices. It's much cheaper just to license them from Arm. At this point, they also have an enormous competitive moat because there's a whole software ecosystem created around ARM's designs. In other words, these guys more or less have a monopoly on smartphone central processing units at CPUs. Their tech is in more than 99% of the world's smartphones, for heaven's sake. And because they license that tech to other firms, the regulators don't go after them for any competitive practices. When you look at the CPU architecture market more broadly, it's effectively a duopoly with ARM-based designs competing against Intel's x86 architecture. ARM controls almost the whole smartphone market, while Intel designs dominate in PCs and, to some extent, servers. Now, the problem with being a smartphone-oriented semiconductor company is that the smartphone market has matured to the point where it's no longer a great source of growth. And that's why ARM needs to expand beyond phones and make real progress taking market share in other end markets. Last year, their total revenue was basically flat. Hmm. In the most recent quarter, they actually saw a 2.5% decline year over year. Meanwhile, the earnings look pretty similar, especially since we've had weaker smartphone markets for the past few quarters. Going forward, Wall Street seems pretty confident that Arm can return to double-digit revenue, revenue growth, uh, uh, double-digit royalty growth in the next couple of years as the semiconductor industry rebounds. I agree with that. Royalty growth will go like this. Still, Arm's recent bout of soft numbers underscores the need to diversify away from phones. I'm optimistic that they can do so, and there's two particular areas where I'm feeling very good. Modern automobiles, especially electric vehicles, and the data center, in particular the most advanced complex data centers that they'll be powering new AI technologies in. For the same reason that ARM's designs won the entire smartphone market, energy efficiency, that's going to let them win all these other markets. Nobody else comes close to them. No, no one. Cars and data centers need to be energy efficient, too. Modern automobiles are incredibly complex, containing a thousand or more chips on average, and double that number for electric vehicles. Plus, electrics are running on battery power, so they really need chips that don't burn through electricity, just like a smartphone. Arm's automobile market share has already grown from 33% at the end of 2020 to just over 40% by the end of last year, which is a very good sign. As for the data center and AI, there's a bit of a different challenge here. Data centers don't need to run on battery power, but as they become more complex and powerful, the key limiting factor of performance is heat. 
These servers tend to run really hot, and heat is not good for computers. So companies spend a fortune on air conditioning to keep them running at optimal levels. Bad for the environment. And that's where ARM comes in. Their energy-efficient CPUs also generate less waste heat. When Amazon wanted to start making their own chips for Amazon Web Services data centers, they used ARM's architecture for their CPUs precisely to keep down the heat without compromising at all performance. We also know that ARM's a key partner with, yep, NVIDIA, which, as I tell you almost every night, is the biggest winner in the AI era, at least so far. And NVIDIA is absolutely, they love ARM to the point where they tried to buy the entire company for $40 billion a few years ago. Unfortunately, the regulators shut that deal down. ARM CEO, Rene Haas, is actually an NVIDIA alum. And NVIDIA is using their designs for the new Grace CPU, which is the fastest CPU in the world and the fastest GPU. They combine them. It's called the Grace Hopper, actually. So here's the bottom line. There's a reason everybody's so excited about ARM Holdings, and it's totally justifiable that the stock would jump nearly 25% on its first day of trading. But is it still worth buying after that move? I say stick around after the break, and I'll tell you whether the price is still right. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, will today's hot stock cost an arm and a leg? Know Your IPO continues next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before the break, I told you why everybody's so excited about this Arm Holdings IPO, as this is one of the most important semiconductor companies in the world. In general, I think this is a great company with a fabulous business model. Although it's got some issues, too, like an over-reliance on the smartphone market. Now, they're working to correct that, but it's going to take some time. However, as much as I like Arm Holdings in theory, the stock itself has plenty of problems in practice. And I wish it hadn't run so hard into the close, make it harder, maybe much harder, to make money with the stock all the way up here. First off, they got a very confusing situation going on in China, which represents about a quarter of their sales. Like most Western companies, Arm operates in China via a joint venture called Arm China, which effectively resells their technology. Now, last year, these guys sold their interest in Arm China to a different subsidiary of SoftBank, and that's the investment holding company that's taking Arm public. Now, that deal allows Arm Holdings to treat Arm China like a regular customer, but the downside is that they don't really control the Chinese business. Feels tenuous to me. How about you? Although when you take a closer look at it, it's clear that they never had much control over Arm China in the first place. In the end, ARM's chip designs are so essential that they'll be able to do lots of business in the PRC no matter what. But the China situation is certainly a complication. 
Second, and really much more important, even after coming public today, SoftBank will still own more than 90% of Arm Holdings, retaining complete control of the company. I have no idea how quickly they might sell it down their stake. But if SoftBank's eager to ring the register, it's going to hurt the stock. Now, they do have a 180-day lockup before they can sell any additional shares, which means the stock could get a nice artificial lift over the next six months, as the bulk of the share count won't be available to trade. Now, I'm pretty sure SoftBank is happy to maintain a large position in Arm Holdings. What worries me is that I don't like situations where a private equity firm controls a publicly traded company, because that often leads to public investors getting the short end of the stick. And that's what we found basically since we started the show. Finally, there's the question of valuation. If you only look at Arm's financial results, it's very hard to justify even the $54.5 billion fully diluted valuation that this company had at its IPO price. And now the stock's up nearly 25% from that price. This is a company that had $524 million in net income last year. So with a more than $54 billion valuation, it's valued at greater than 100 times earnings. Now, I'd love to use a higher net income estimate for the year, but Arms earnings were down in the first half, first quarter of the fiscal year. That's right, down. So it's a stretch to assume they'll have an up year. So how do we come let's, let's pause it. How do we come up with a reasonable valuation? All right, look, we know SoftBank paid $32 billion to take Arm Holdings private in 2016. We know NVIDIA tried to buy the entire company for $40 billion in 2020. It's already getting a nice premium to those valuations. Separately, last month, SoftBank had an internal transaction where one of their funds sold a quarter of Arm Holdings to the parent company for $16.1 billion, which implies a $64.4 billion valuation for the entire business. Three different ways. One other data point. Yesterday, some enterprising analysts at New Street Research initiated coverage on Arm something they can do because they aren't participating in the IPO. Now, their price target for ARM shares is $59, implying a valuation of over $60 billion for the company, a few bucks below uh, the $63 level where it ultimately closed. So it's expensive on almost all of these, all right? What's interesting is how New Street got there. They think the best way to value ARM holdings is with a multiple on the company's royalty revenue base, noting that this is how Wall Street judged ARM towards the end of its previous stint as a publicly traded company. That makes sense. Ford was acquired by SoftBank. ARM traded roughly 21 times forward royalty revenues. And when SoftBank took its private, they paid 29 times forward royalty revenues. Given that semiconductor stocks are currently valued much more highly than they were in 2016, New Street assigned a 27 multiple to their estimate for royalty revenues in 2026, which is 3.1 billion. And that works out to an $82 billion valuation for ARM based on 2026 numbers. But they have to discount that because we're still in 2023, aren't we? Which is how New Street ended up with that $62 billion valuation target, or $59 per share, again, below where it went out. Now, in general, I think it makes sense for ARM holders to trade in the mid, mid to high 50s, all right? That's why I was very excited about it, because there are plenty of reasons to be optimistic about their ability to expand outside of smartphones, but management still needs to prove that they can pull it off. So I was pretty pleased to see the stock open for trading right in the middle of that range of $56.10. That was great. Unfortunately, it rallied a bit from there, including that big run in the last hour of trading, ultimately closing at 63 bucks. That's above the high end of what we'd normally be willing to pay for this one. So there's not much upside left to this based on near-term numbers. Still, I think you can put on a small position in ARM here in the low 60s because there are some technical factors that should act as tailwinds for the next few months. 
The stock's going to have a small float, not just because SoftBank owns 90% and can't trade, but also because a group of major tech companies, including Apple, Alphabet, and NVIDIA, banded together as cornerstone investors, and they bought 15% of the shares that currently trade. They're, they're certainly not going to sell anytime soon. Looking forward, I have to believe that the rollout of analyst coverage in about a month will be a positive catalyst as well once the book runners are free to talk about it. Listen, I wish that Arm stock had stayed in the low to mid-50s. That would be so easy for me to tell you to buy it. But even at 63, all right, I'm willing to justify putting on a small position here. Either Arm continues to climb higher, in which case you got a nice little winner, or it falls back down, at which point you can buy more on weakness at the price we'd prefer, not the market price. If you're looking for higher level takeaways from today's Arm Holdings IPO, I'd say this deal went about as well as it could go. This was the largest IPO since Rivian Automotive came public in 2021. But do you remember what happened with that thing? The deal priced at 78 bucks, then the stock opened at 106, then reached a high of $179 within its first five trading days, at which point this electric vehicle company was valued at a ridiculous $150 billion. Rivian had barely produced 150 cars at that point, and the stock came crashing back to earth, losing 87% of its value over the next 18 months. 87%. Today's action in ARM was much healthier. So here's the bottom line. I think this deal was pretty darn close, really, to a Goldilocks outcome and a good sign of things to come for the IPO market going forward. ARM went up enough to get people excited about new offerings again, but not so much that the whole thing became a travesty of a mockery of a sham. Let's hope the next big deal in SCART keeps it up when it comes public as soon as next week. Let's go to Jim in Pennsylvania. Jim! Hello, Jim. How are you? I am good, Jim. How about you? I'm great. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I, I have a question about AMD. Right now, do you think I should hold it or sell it? I think you should hold AMD. I think it's a very good company. It's just what's happened is, is that people are selling AMD to be able to buy, uh, literally to buy some ARM. I mean, that's what happens. You have to wait, wait for it to settle. I think it, the last quarter was just okay. I think that they'll do very well going forward. They just aren't as uh, in the conversation as much as NVIDIA right now. That's the problem. It's much cheaper than NVIDIA, by the way. How about Joseph in Florida? Joseph. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Go Eagles. Go that's Birds. It. Go Birds. That's what's happening? It. I'll be there. Hey, I got my cufflinks. Where's my cufflinks? They're upstairs. Hey, buddy. How are you? I am good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I just wanted to say hello to my wife and my son, Jared. But I wanted to ask you a quick question as well. Um, is Amazon's recent surge in their AWS and cloud service going to be a big boost for their stock long term? Okay, it's so interesting you mentioned it that way. I'm glad you did because this morning Morgan Stanley had a piece out. It wasn't even talking about AWS. It was talking about how much money they're going to make in retail. Well, that is terrific because I thought they're going to lose a lot of money in retail. I say this stock, which hit a, a new high today, could shoot towards all-time high. All right, today ARM was as close to perfect as you get for the IPO market. Now, let's hope it can stay that way in SCART next week. Much more may have money ahead. Tens of thousands of fatalities each year are attributed to automobile accidents. So how could a fleet of autonomous vehicles work to help reduce that number? I'm riding through the streets of San Francisco with the CEO of autonomous vehicle company Cruise in a first-of-its-kind interview for the driverless car company. And other than artificial intelligence, there were two words I heard the most out in San Francisco that I think could greatly impact your investing thesis. I'll reveal what it is and what you need to know. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lighting Round. So stay with Kramer.
We're now back home in New York after three glorious days covering Salesforce's annual Dreamforce conference. But we're not quite done with our San Francisco coverage, not yet, because while we were out there, we found some time to check back in on one of the earlier AI stories that we covered in Cruise. That's right, the autonomous ride-hailing business backed by GM. Even with an impending strike by the United Auto Workers, driverless technology marches on. This time, we got a chance to speak with Kyle Vogt. He's the co-founder, president, CEO, and CTO of Cruise, and we did it in the back of one of his autonomous vehicles, cruising the streets of San Francisco as we talked. First time he has ever done an interview from the back of a moving driverless vehicle. First time for me, too. Now, there's so much to cover here that we had to split this interview into two parts, one tonight and one for tomorrow. It's very exciting, so take a look. Well, this right. is comfortable. You gotta cool. buckle up and then you can just press that start ride button and we'll right, be on our way. Get, are you a guest? Are we okay there? All right, so it tells me exactly where I am. It knows your name because that's from your phone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Let's be sure it clicks. And I, what I have to imagine is that this is in San Francisco, second nature already. For a lot of people, they commute to work. Do they really? Because then it's well-timed uh, for people to return. I saw that some the commuting numbers are up 18% year over year. So oh, interesting. the direction okay. is clearly going your way. And we're off. So no one behind the wheel. Well, okay, so did you tell Noki where we want to go, or is it just yeah, kind of I did. freelancing? When I, yeah, it's not just going on a joyride. When I, when, it, uh, when I open the app, I type in the address. So it's a coffee right. shop nearby. So we're going to head over there. Fantastic. All right, so let's just get right to it. I want to talk about an incredible double standard given the empirical data you have between the dangerous ride and the safe ride. You've got data, third-party data, not from GM or Cruise, but actual universities that have no no skin in the game. They're basically able, Michigan and Virginia Tech are able to say, here's the data. It's much more favorable for what you do. Yeah, I mean, their contribution was to answer this really difficult question of how good are human drivers really? Because when we look at the federal data, the insurance data, it turns out the majority of collisions, especially the low-speed ones, aren't reported. So we established that. Now we actually know how good humans are, and unsurprisingly, they get into a lot more accidents than that they report. It's like 91% of the the real bottom line of safety and injury versus, and, and there's a the number of miles you now have, some more than five, five million? Almost five million, yeah. And the percentage of it's, accidents is just so stark that if you have kids or if you have a teenage son or daughter, I think you want them in this, not up front. That's our view. I mean, the, the, at this point, um, it is about a 75% reduction in the more severe collisions that could cause injury. Now, I, I get that sometimes EVs do something awkward, and that's that's the double yeah, standard. Yeah, I saw the videos. Always have the videos of the two going together, or one stuck yeah. in cement. I mean, yeah. hey, let's talk about fatality. I, I mean, that's that's the thing we need to anchor on is right. safety, because we, we forget that almost a 737 full of people die every, in the U.S. every day in, in, yeah, you know, on our roads. very daunting, because... You knew this, or I think that if we were back with Henry Ford or Duran, we would never have a human if we didn't, if we knew. We would always say, we would create one of these if they had the technology. Exactly. I, I think um, in, in things like, you know, even ride hill as we have it today with a human driver who's listening, you don't know what they're, what they're doing before they got in the car, all those things um, makes people anxious. You know, that was, a, that was the best we could do 
absent this kind of technology. Now, I, I've been talking with someone who's been looking at Progressive and Geico, uh, Liberty, and looking at numbers uh, with AI, always trying to figure out what's safest. I have to believe the insurance companies, which at one time I felt were very against you, are looking at the data and just saying, you know what, for commercial vehicle, if I'm going to insure one that does uh, commercial drives other people, that they would actually insure this at a better rate than having a human. Yeah, I mean, look, there should be a reduction in collisions. And right. so I, I don't know exactly how that will translate to the insurance industry or how they'll modify their business models to adapt to that. Um, but these vehicles will still get into collisions, just hopefully far fewer. Well, and right. we're seeing that so far. Well, that's why I think that maybe the, one of the next use cases for you might be the uh, more forward-thinking rental car companies like a Hertz. I have to believe that there are talks going on. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of interesting things for us, especially right. on the infrastructure side. Like, we need parking and charging and, right. and maintenance for, all, for a large fleet of vehicles in the future. But you do say in your most recent interview that I know of that demand is off the charts. Now, that's commercial demand. People should understand that. That's not just, I want to go buy one. No, yeah, this is demand for the, the robo-taxi service. So, you know, there are, there are tens of thousands of people in San Francisco that have already used this. Mm -hmm. And uh, the service, when, when it's online and we have cars available, they're almost always busy. And we expect that to continue just because, you know, there's over 200 million cars in the U.S. Right. And there's only going to be, you know, tens of thousands of robo-taxis in the next couple of years. Um, so there's going to be a lot of demand versus the supply we have. Now, I would imagine that one of the users could sop up every single one, Walmart, big enough to... By the way, Walmart, people don't realize, very tech savvy. Uh -huh. uh, and I can imagine that, that they would buy every one that they could get their hands on. It saves them a lot. If you get that miles, the, the dollar per mile, I think if Walmart wants to drop off things, it, it's the way for them to make the, what has been a very intractable problem for them less expensive. Yeah, it's huge for logistics. I mean, you, you see this if you, you order food from an app or order groceries from an app. All that money that it costs to actually get that delivered and the tip and everything else, um, we can do a lot better with robotaxis and more consistent, you know, timely experience. And uh, we're actually already running a pilot with Walmart on doing grocery deliveries. See, I think if that pilot worked out, I would immediately start thinking, well, rather than having a franchise where I'm buying a... Uh, a series of say health clubs planet fitness what i would like to do is say you know what if it's my if the mile number right put together a group of group of people and create a franchise in each city that owns these and then makes a pretty good roi you're a tech guy the roi must be pretty good soon or is it now the roi good if i could buy five of these and, and do what we're doing I mean, yeah, so we're not selling these directly to consumers yet. It's just well, that's as what I'm saying. Model. If I did put together an entity. Right, buy, right. Well, what I, do you think, think of that? I think down the road, as we have a larger service area and the cost comes down, I okay. think that's viable. And you see these models exist today that you've described. There are people that own, you know, five or 10 cars and run them on the, Uber, on the Uber network, or, the, or they're not, not AVs. And then there are people that, right. uh, like, even, even large delivery companies like Amazon often use small mom and pop shops of 10, 20 vehicles, uh, you know, private fleet operators. And so that model does exist already. Well, it just makes so much. No, we just the uh, Nokia just switched lanes. What happened then? Uh, we're now? making a, a left turn. You can see that. On okay, the map so here. now a left turn. This a left turn for some people, even when they're starting, is can be intimidating in a city yes. like like San Francisco. This obviously can't be intimidated because it's got 360 view of things. Yeah. Well, I remember when I was learning to drive. Green doesn't mean go; it means yield. Know, <laughs> so I had I a couple close calls myself growing up. Well, speaking of that, the teenage. I'm going to use that and I feel awful about it, but the teenage death numbers mm. are way too high and have gotten much higher, right? I mean, so the use case 
it has skyrocketed. I couldn't believe the number after years and years of the number of fatalities going down. They've spiked. So this is the right product just to be able to make that number go lower. Yeah, I mean, I, that statistic is very painful for us, right? Yes. Like, if you think about it, cars are actually coming out with more safety features. There are more cars on the road with those safety features, but we're still getting worse in terms of fatalities. And I have to attribute that to just people being distracted. They're on say, their phones, they're, they're doing other things. They can't stop it, right? They can't stop it. Uh, and, and so we, we've been unsuccessful as a society to do something about this. And, and I think that is okay because in some ways, because we have to get to work, we have to get to school, to our jobs, and there's no, been no effective solution really. This is the first time we have a technology solution that can actually have a huge reduction in those injuries and fatalities as it scales. Well, one of the most powerful lobbies in the country and successful is Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Mm -hmm. They should be, if you're against drunk driving, then you should be pro self-driving. Yeah, and, and you know, I think they're, we, we talk to them a lot. And you have. Do some work together, yeah. And, and some of the things I think, you know, their, their points of view I find compelling are like, look, you're not gonna get people to, as much as we try, there are some people who are just going to have a drink out there and gonna find them in a situation where they're in a tough spot and need to get a ride home. And so providing alternatives, whether it's you know, human-driven ride hail or AVs, is a great solution to, to those problems. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. It's right for the one and the ready. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Clears up my own. with Joseph in Washington. Joseph. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Joseph. Healthcare stocks, including clips. I'm not so happy with my Abbott Lab stock. I'm debating selling my Abbott Labs and putting the money into Ken's. Uh, you know what? I like something. Abbott more than Kenview. I want you to stick with Abbott. I think it's good. It's being kept down right now by Majorno and concerns that there won't be a diabetes issue anymore. That's wrong. Abbott's a buy. I wish there wouldn't. Let's go to Walter in Virginia. Walter. Hey, Jim. How are you, buddy? I am good. How about you, Walter? I'm doing great. Hey, quick question for the stock. Um, what would you pay for a product that increased your blood flow massively and was targeted towards an athlete and was based on red grape cells and all you had to do was take a capsule a day? Uh, I, I would say it's probably not true. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no. But, I mean, we, I, we will talk about like that about Celsius. when Bioharvest Sciences um, okay. is up to $2. But for today, UiPath. Oh, now you're talking. UiPath is a decent stock. It's just got, you know, the other problem with UiPath, they're not making money. And we don't like to recommend stocks to make money. If they start making money, we will rethink. Let's go to Randy in Pennsylvania. Randy. Jim Booyah. Booyah. First time lightning round. Fly, go fly. You fly, know, we'll out the Vikings tonight. I want to know, do you have a private jet ready to go to Vegas for the Super Bowl, Jim? Are you ready? Well, I was going to go. I was going to actually fly commercial, but yeah, I'm ready. Wait, oh, what's right. up? Well, it's anyway, you're awesome. I hope you like my gift, my Freedom shirt. And plus, you're invited anytime to the Horsham Center to Sports Talk and Mad Money. Jesus, this is fabulous. Is, How about a stock, too? Yeah, that would really be enough. It's called Essential Utility. Essential Utility. Oh, no, I like them. They're they're from Brimar. They're Philadelphia-based, and it's really good. It's very cheap right now. It's actually a good place to buy it. Let's go to Ken, Illinois. Ken. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. First of course. First caller from... Lamont, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. Of course I know where that is. What's up? 
I wanted to get your take on Plug Power. I know they had a rough year. No, but- no, no, no. We're done with Plug. I mean, like they've heard us too many times. We're like done. We got other stocks to focus on. Actually, and, and go Bears. I picked up one of my one of your running backs. Your 52 running backs in my fantasy league. Let's go to Dustin in Colorado. Dustin. Jim, the man, the myth, the 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 legend, the goat of all Wall Street. Oh, woo! Uh, let's see. I just had a. I want to. I want to see what you. Uh, what you might have to say about. Roku because it looks okay. like it's uh, the last quarter was really great. You had a short squeeze, but the problem is they're not making money. And on Jim Cramer's man money, we don't recommend stocks that aren't making money. And that is jumping to the conclusion of the lightning round. Coming up, three days in San Francisco would leave any investor eager for a glitzy future, but Kramer warns not to go gaga until we settle up with the recent past. out in California, the only two words I heard more than artificial intelligence were after COVID. It's incredible how much the pandemic is still part of the conversation, even as we all take it for granted that COVID's in the rearview mirror. We aren't conscious of how much we say it simply because it's kind of in the ether. It's an investment thesis in itself. The first most obvious is something Lyft told us, that there was a 17% year-over-year increase in commutes in the first half of the year. That's what we've been waiting for, and it returned to pre-pandemic normalcy. When I heard that, I realized that there could be a real serious use case for cruise. The GM-backed autonomous ride-hailing business I talked about earlier, because if we don't get more people on the road in predictable ways, we don't get incremental use patterns. I don't want to see the origin, which is the bus that's so great for commuting, it's coming soon, uh, not have a... uh, a thesis, right? I mean, they're going to be testing it really soon, and if commuting comes back, this could be another great use. But with Lyft seeing a 17% increase in commutes, I tell you, I want to double down on another company, Boston Properties, I talked about earlier this year. The real estate investment trust that owns a huge number of Class A office properties, especially in San Francisco, because more commuting means those empty offices are starting to fill up. With a nearly 6% yield and the wind now behind it, Boston Properties is the one to own. And when people come back to the office, they drop the ultra-casual apparel. Now, they've stayed in their stepped-up Lululemon, but I keep hearing that people are getting better dressed at the office. If we look back at the last quarters for the apparel companies, all of which were hated by the market, I come back to one that shouldn't be hated, Ralph Lauren. That was the one to buy. Good quarter and doing well, but just amazingly overlooked because Wall Street's no patience for anything in power right now. I also, it also looks like we're going to be getting back to the same old pre-COVID patterns of home renovation. When I talked to Laura Albert, the CEO of Williams-Sonoma, I was impressed by the amount of seasonal buying for the holidays, kind of what used to happen. She said, now it's on steroids with Thanksgiving shopping already underway. We had this terrible spending lull after people built out their home offices during COVID. Now it seems like we're through the lull and people are spending like they used to before the pandemic. That, well, maybe even more so. That is good news for WSM. Of course, there's another way of looking at this. The pandemic's over, and now so is the post-pandemic. We're back to normal, but that's bad news for the post-pandemic travel boom. The airlines keep pre-announcing very weak numbers. Today was Delta's turn, and it's not just higher fuel costs. The traffic numbers are down, way down. And I think these pre-announcements foreshadow even worse numbers in the reservation book. Otherwise, they just wait to report disappointing results in the regular schedule. 
You're getting out ahead of the negativity instead, which often means things are going to get worse, not better. Of course, it's not just California. Before COVID, people shopped in a full array of stores. After COVID, I can't believe how much shopping is devoted to just three stores, Walmart, Costco, and Amazon. This is now the big three. It's incredible to me how much the pandemic culled the herd of retail. Each of these three were sampled or used heavily during COVID. People saw what they liked and they stuck around. I think Amazon could run to a new high in large part because its retail business is booming and they're seeing more profitability from it and they're becoming more efficient. During the pandemic, Amazon hired like mad. After the pandemic, they're rationalizing. Maybe they've rationalized. Now we're in an after, after COVID and everything's working. Walmart's lower kept drug prices, kept all its prices down. It's a classic trade down story. It's attractive because the Federal Reserve is saying brace the economy, meaning lots of people need a cheaper place to shop. Costco's had the same COVID boost and then kept its members as we moved into post-COVID. Like Amazon, Costco has no meaningful theft problem because they don't let you in the store unless you're a paid member. Yeah. Dues. Even if you wanted to shoplift, you'd have to pay Costco 60 bucks a year for the privilege. No, thank you. In the end, as we move from after COVID to after after COVID, we can finally tell the difference between temporary post-pandemic fads and the genuine item. That's creating a ton of opportunities, but you got to know where to look. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.